welcome to What the Fantasy. I am Brandon Hay, and you can find me on Twitter at HayB3. Good evening, everybody. My name is Zada Cantabedia, and you can find me at ZCansFF on Twitter. How you so doing, Brandon? I'm good. I'm good. Another great week at NFL football. Uh, a lot of uh, comebacks, a lot of surprises. Uh, what really stood out to you uh, for week two? What stood out to me in week two was... I guess, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just the Lions, t- t- uh, the tenacity of the Lions um, this week. I really do just love to see them thriving. Uh, and I love to see them thriving under a head coach like Dan Campbell. Uh, I think I this isn't like a hard talk, hard knocks take. So I only watched one episode of that. I, I didn't watch any of it really this offseason. But it's really cool to see all the pieces come together. It's great to see Jared Goff, you know, succeed in a system. And I'm on Ross St. Brown, and we still got Jamison Williams coming, and DeAndre Swift, you know, is looking better than ever. You know, it's just good to see the uh, the the offense coming together, and you know, under a under a culture and a head coach who who cultivates, you know, just a good culture. So that that's you know that was surprising to see. I, I like to see them uh, beat out the Washington Commanders and get their first uh, victory of the season, go one on one. Yeah, definitely, and. Are they a possible top 10 offense for the rest of the year? Because they're getting Jamison Williams back. I mean, they have all the pieces. And even last week, DJ Chart didn't do much. TJ Hawkinson really hasn't gotten going. So um, as long as Jared Goff can get it to those people, it's probably a borderline, at least fantasy-wise, um, top 10 offense, I would think. Yeah, I, I don't know like where it would place in like the offensive and offensive rankings, but I do know that they are viable offense now and not fringe either. Like they are solid, viable offense in football and in fantasy. I think I think I think in both regards they are. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, I know they got down pretty big to the Eagles the first week, but they were able to come back, and we saw what the Eagles defense did to Minnesota. Let's talk about that a little bit. I was very surprised on the Minnesota side um, how poor they looked. Um, they never adjusted to anything defensively or offensively. Um, I was very surprised by that. And um, Darius Slay had a great game, but I don't understand why they didn't target Adam Thielen more earlier in the game uh, if Justin Jefferson was getting locked up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think they just put too much weight into their uh, number one elite weapon, thinking that he would, you know, open the gates for them to succeed and get drive down the field. And obviously, that didn't happen. I mean, it's 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 just a uh, it's just you know we have Darius Slay who who play, and it's really hard to do that too. You can't just lock down a number one corner. But you know, Darius Slay played his mind. He played out of his mind. He made good reads. He read the routes and uh, he read the quarterback and. He just played really solid football every single snap. And, you know, a testament to Darius Slay because that's not an easy thing to do to play that consistently against probably the best wide receiver in the league right now. And to to play at that level for every single snap is is a huge testament. And Jalen Hurts is looking smooth as butter, like unstoppable. That entire offense looks just as – effortless i think as you know when you watch the buffalo bills where it's not even a challenge really where they're just cutting through defenses that's what the that's what the eagles look like this year they look like they have a tool for every occasion they have you know you you you, you want to stop the run fine we're just going to go read option or we're just going to toss it over to aj brown or dallas goddard or Devontae smith you know and their defense is a perfect complement just like the buffalo bills strong defenses on both teams those are teams who are set to make the, um, the the full push, the push the entire way, you know, at, you know, when you not counting injuries, you know, if you look at teams in a vacuum, these teams are set to make the, to make the long, to, to go all the way this year. Definitely. And I was surprised the Vikings chose to play kind of deep coverage. And I would, you know, at least from what my perspective is, I thought they would try to stop the run and make Jalen, you know, complete at least difficult passes they weren't making any of those passes difficult um so but yeah so the first week uh aj brown went off second you know this week it was pretty much everyone devonta got um more play and everything and miles sanders looks very good too they um i know it was wiped out by a penalty but uh kenneth gainwell had a nice little screen for himself showed what he could do so then it looks like they're trying to, you know, get him involved and they throw Boston Scott. They have just so many weapons. And if that defense plays like that, um, very interesting. 
Uh, what do you think about the Bengals? Can can they get it together after starting 0-2? That offense does not look right. It looks like they can move the ball. It's just they're having trouble scoring touchdowns. I know I know. Joe Burrow is still taking a lot of pressure. He's still getting sacked a lot. Um, he's not comfortable back there. He's got like over 70 rushing yards in his first two weeks, I believe, as a quarterback, which is, you know, he's mobile, but it's not something that he, it's not one of his tendencies to rush, to be a scrambler, you know? So, I mean, so he's picking up a lot of rushing yards. And for somebody like Joe Burrow to be push, picking up that many rushing yards through the first two weeks of the season is very telling of the offensive line woes this year. Um, I think they just got to make some adjustments. I don't, I don't really know what's wrong with them. Uh, the word on the street is that they don't know how to deal with the cover two look. And I don't know when this cover two look started becoming such a problem. I remember it became a problem with Patrick Mahomes, I believe, last year. But, you know, cover two has been around for a long time. So I, I, I always wanted to have a discussion with somebody who understands defensive schemes better. But why cover two is all of a sudden such a problem? Cover two essentially means, like, quarterbacks, when they make their reads at the snap, they always look at what I've been taught is that they always look at the top of the field for the, the, the shell of the coverage first, right? So they're always looking at the safety cover. One means the middle of the field is closed, which means you're going on the outsider, right? Cover three and cover one, cover one basically mean you're going to the, uh, no cover. Cover one basically means you're going to the outside. Cover two means the middle of the field open. You're going to the inside because there's that big gap in the middle of the field, you know? So I don't know if they don't have any routes set up for that kind of stuff. I don't know why they struggle. But they, I think I have faith that they'll 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 pivot. You know, they have two of the best receivers. You know, three three really good receivers, a viable tight end right now, strong running game. There's no reason why they shouldn't um, rebound. But uh, a loss to the to the Cowboys, a loss to uh, to Trubisky, Cooper Rush. Is that is that his name, Cooper Rush? What's his guy's yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, Cooper that, Rush. That's that's his name. And then they're gonna play Joe Flacco. Imagine losing to those three quarterbacks in the first three weeks of the season. That that would be rough. And uh, back to the cover two, I somewhat understood it last year with the Chiefs with Mahomes because, you know, um, Tyreek Hill's, you know, deep, usually deep, you know, down the sidelines. And then you could just kind of cover, double cover Kelsey. Um, So, but with the, but like you said, with the Bengals, they have three receivers. They have Mitson, they, they have Hurst. So I don't understand why they can't really get over that. Um, I think maybe they're trying to take too many deep uh, shots or slow developing plays, and they just need to get it out quick. Um, it's a little confusing to me. Well, I know the first game, they moved the ball up and down the field. It's just Burrow kept on throwing those interceptions. So um, it will be interesting with the Jets. So the Jets won this week. Um Crazy fashion against the Browns. I, you know, I, I caught the end of the last two minutes of that game. It, it was insanity. Uh, if Flacco wins this Nets game, so they're two and one. If he beats the Bengals here, do they go back to Zach Wilson whenever he's healthy? I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I, I would not go back to Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson has looked, you know, like he's inept really at the position at the, at, at, at the professional level, he hasn't shown any reason why he should get the starting job. You know, Flacco's gone in there and done a pretty good job. And he looks like he's warmed up to Garrett Wilson a lot and they have the offensive pieces to go in there. He has the offensive, you know, veteran savvy who would have thought, you know, we all thought Joe, Joe Flacco was a joke. We all thought Joe Flacco was a joke. coming into the season. We're like, Oh, look, they signed Joe Flacco. This is, this is hilarious. Here we go with Joe Flacco again. He just won't go away. Um, you know, but Zach Wilson, I mean, like even in the preseason, he had like three snaps and I like, you know, he barely played like one drive. And on that drive, he already threw a pick like on his on his one on during his first drive. I mean, like that can instill confidence in the coaches and that can't create much leverage for you as a quarterback. You know, with that being your only showing for the 2022 season, you throw a pick and then we're supposed to come replace you with a guy that led us on a comeback victory against the Browns on the road. Like now we're at home against the Bengals. And uh, we're playing in a very competitive division in the AFC with the Dolphins now being a freaking superpower all of a sudden. Like what? We're supposed to throw Zach Wilson back in there and he's supposed to get build momentum. Zach Wilson? Come on, man. Like he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year. He was made the worst reads. He always threw interceptions. Like there's no reason to put him in there right now unless Joe Flacco completely falters. Then you put Zach Wilson in there and make the pivot. But right now you ride with the momentum. I think Robert Sale understands this, and I think they're going to continue with Joe Flacco, especially if Joe Flacco does win. Even if Joe Flacco doesn't win this week, I still think it's going to be a difficult decision to do. I definitely agree, and at least they have the opportunity with the injury 
to at least extend, maybe say, you know, we want to give Zach Wilson a little more time. And I think uh, Solid knows too. I mean, even though he just became the coach, he's got to win some games, you know, so at least if he wins some games this year and then maybe plays Zach Wilson near the back end, you know, when um, it, maybe not they're out of contention or something to get him, you know, to figure out if they're going to move forward with him next year. But yeah, it's definitely tough. And I, you know, Garrett Wilson had a great game and, you know, I am a tad bit wor worried about Elijah Moore. He's not really getting it, getting the targets or, you know, getting the ball enough. Maybe with Garrett Wilson kind of coming out last game, uh, teams will roll coverage over more to Wilson, but uh, yeah, that, you know, he's one of the players that I love. I love Elijah Moore's game, but he's just not getting the targets in, you know, getting those big plays so far. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is a player we'll touch on later in the in a, in a segment coming up. But uh, what he's doing right now, I think people are are kind of like overlooking. They see it and they're acknowledging it, but they're not really looking at what he's going to do this season. I think Garrett Garrett Wilson's really set up to do some amazing things. And Elijah Moore is just. I mean, he he's a great receiver. It's just that. Um, you know, he's running, Gary Wilson's running the routes, like kind of more over the middle where it's, he's more accessible to Elijah Morris locked up on the boundary with the, uh, number one DB. And I think right now, uh, you know, we have, you know, Gary Wilson, who's, who's, um, uh, a formidable, uh, co-wide receiver, you know, for, for Elijah Moore and he's going to get open and, and it's, it's, it's not Elijah Moore's world anymore. Elijah Moore is a great talent, but I don't think Joe Flacco, I think with a better quarterback, you don't have to worry about Elijah Moore, but I think with, you know, with a quarterback like Joe Flacco, like it's just going to be harder to come by more efficient targets uh, for both wide receivers. Definitely. Um, he's not on here because we're going to do buy sell, but I think Elijah Moore might be a, um, a buy, you know, if someone's kind of a little worried about that on um, seeing Garrett Wilson, because I think when they do, you know, either if it's Zach Wilson or someone beyond Joe Flacco, um, when they get, you know, a better quarterback in there, he'll be able to spread the ball better. So, um, but let's go ahead and get to that uh, buy or sell. Um, so first, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones had a huge game last week. Uh, they finally decided to give him the ball. Um, as an AJ Dillon owner, I wish a couple, you know, at least one of those touchdowns could have gone to AJ Dillon. But um, would you would you just keep uh, Aaron Jones? Would you try to sell high after that um, great game? What What's your opinion on Aaron Jones? Well, I, I tried to sell high with Aaron Jones today. I mean, I had a Saquon Barkley owner come up to me and he said, what do you want for T. Higgins and uh, Aaron Jones? And I said, that would re require you to, to relinquish Saquon Barkley from your team to me. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. So, I mean, that's as high as I think. I mean, that's – I mean, like how much more higher can you really go with Aaron Jones? Because after Saquon Barkley, uh, Christian McCaffrey – and Jonathan Taylor, like there really isn't much. I mean, maybe you can sell him for Dalvin Cook. I think that's 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 okay. That's not a bad idea. Maybe you can try to swap him out for Dalvin Cook. But there really aren't any other players you can go for here. I mean, um, you're not going to get Justin Jefferson unless the guy like has no running backs. I mean, based off of his last performance, you're going to sell high. But I mean, I really don't mind holding because Aaron Jones is. You know, while he is the, the smaller of the two backs, he is the more efficient runner. And you just see it like he just he's just the more efficient runner. He just runs and he picks up more yards. Whereas A.J. Dillon, you know, A.J. Dillon, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of volume, too. But he's just kind of like a bully. And uh, you, you want to see him get to that second level and get the you know, you'll, we'll see it. We'll see him do that. It's going to be awesome to do that when he does it, get to the second level and go on huge breakaway runs. And he's just, lump, you know, bowling down the field. But Aaron Jones is a better receiver. He, they, and there you saw it uh, last week where they were starting to line up Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the field at the same exact time. So that's a very encouraging sign. You don't see uh, the Packers utilizing one wide receiver heavily. Uh, so I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon right now are pretty much holds. Um, if you want to sell them, go ahead and sell them. But good luck getting you know what you want for them because it, it's going to be a little bit difficult. Trust me, I tried today. So – Based off of week two, we saw that Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon were still the focus of that team. You know, I think they're they're more of a focus on that team than Aaron Rodgers is right now. Like Aaron Rodgers is just distributing the ball where it has to go to, but AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones are the primary focus of that team. So I'd be holding Aaron Jones because he's you know a primary asset for uh, a good offense. No, I definitely agree. Um, that's that's a that's a big uh, man. I can't believe the the Barkley owner wouldn't do that. I, I probably would have if I had Barkley, but uh, 
Aaron Jones, they use him a lot in the red zone too. They do a lot of those pop passes, you know, on the when he's in motion. And um, Aaron likes to roll out and throw it to him. So definitely. So uh, this is on here, but where do you think Aaron Rodgers is for this season? Because I don't think fan- fantasy wise, I think he's a, a still a great, you know, NFL quarterback wins you games. But fantasy wise, without those receivers, um, I'm really starting to wonder where he really is, you know, um, you know, on the on the landscape of quarterbacks. Yeah, it's it's tough to say rest of season because you don't know how those rookie wide receivers are going to shape up, or you don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna, um, you know, how how he's gonna gel with Sammy Watkins as the year goes on, or Christian Watson. You just don't really know, so it's really hard to say rest of season because you know every week is 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 its own animal. But I mean, you know, in the short term, he's outside of the top ten for me of the top ten wide uh, quarterbacks for me right now. Um, he's just, the passing volume isn't there with Devontae Adams. And, you know, this is just as a lot of us projected going into, going into the regular season, you know, when we were all considering, uh, ranking Aaron Rodgers, we just knew Devontae Adams was gone. We said, okay, look, there's really nowhere to go to. There's really nowhere to go to with this ball. And we were talking about last week, we were said, what, Alan Lazard is going to come in here and save Aaron Rodgers in the offense. Like Alan Lazard was a nice addition, gave Aaron Rodgers a little bit more comfort. You know, they got more Robert Tanyan back. But, you know, it also did help that they were playing the Bears at home. And, uh, you know, they have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And now we're going to have we're going to see a different face of the offense when they go play the Bucks, a strong run defense at home and a strong defense all at, at Tampa Bay. I mean, and is they're going to be they're a strong all around defense and it's not going to be very difficult, difficult for them to uh, to stop the run, take away the uh, the Packers primary strength. And then what's Aaron Jones? What's Aaron Rodgers going to do then? You know, let's see how he does then. I think how Aaron Rodgers responds in week three is going to be a very considerable indicator as to how we rank him for the rest of the season. I agree. I just um, I think there's obviously not that ceiling without Devontae Adams, and I don't think he's going to get a ton of passing yards each game. So what you're really hoping for are those short touchdown passes that he could get. So, um, you know, what that – this week will be a definitely a big test for Green Bay to see um, how they attack that Tampa Bay defense. So next, uh, Tua he had this uh, huge game, but actually in the first half, I you know early on in that game he was not you know that Dolphins offense wasn't looking that great, um, but then you know he really got it going with um, Tyreek and Waddle. I don't know what really happened to Baltimore; it just kind of like all, all fell apart. Um, to me, it, it you know, even though I think Tua could have a, a very good season, I mean, you, he's not going to have any higher value after, than after this last game. Uh, absolutely, I think I think um, he's not going to have any higher value. But you know, how much more does it regress really? Uh, again, another quarterback who we're going to be understanding how to rank more appropriately after week three concludes, um, because you know we have a very stiff competition. You know, he went on the road at Baltimore, you know, which is an easy and came over, overcame a massive deficit. Right. And, you know, finally he has the, you know, he has these yak monsters and Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, who are essentially clones of each other. But, um, you know, playing against, you know, the best team in the NFL right now, the Buffalo Bills at home is going to be a whole nother test in itself. Um, so, yeah, going back to buy or sell. Um it's very difficult, man. It's very difficult. I want to believe in it. Like, because like the child in me and the, the fantasy enthusiast in me wants to believe in Tua. And, and, you know, I like to see this kind of stuff. This is so much, it makes the game so much better. Um, but it's only one week. Right. And we just, we just don't know what to expect. So if we're selling, you know, yeah. Sell him for something, sell him for something that's worth it. Sell him for, you know, and I, I wouldn't mind selling him for like James Robinson something like that, like in a one quarterback league um, or whatever else you can get for him. But uh, as far as like the narrative of Tua goes, man, I don't know. I'm just so undecided. I'm undecided right now. I just, I just don't know yet, Brandon. Yeah, pretty much. He's had one great game, one, you know, okay game against the Patriots, but you know, the Patriots usually um, scheme very well, you know, defensively. So um, you're right. This is a really the only thing is I want to see what he does against Buffalo. But say he has a bad game against Buffalo, and then you kind of lost that that high value, you know, that he had this last week. So I guess it truly does um, depend on what you're really getting back. If maybe you could get back a quarterback and an extra piece, um, maybe a little lower, you know, um, depending 
maybe like a Kirk Cousins or something, and then you know a good wide receiver or running back to add to your roster. Um, I would I would probably do that. So next, it's uh, buy or sell Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts has not had you know a, a big start this season. Uh, I looked; he has had ten targets, which is still um, a little under twenty three percent target share for the Falcons. So they're not throwing the ball a ton. Um, I, I saw someone talking about you know that they teams are just making uh, Drake London beat them at least right now, doubling Kyle Pitts and everything like that. I would have to assume Pitts is going to get it going during the season. So I think, you know, uh, someone that might be um, that obviously drafted Kyle Pitts pretty high and is kind of panicking. I would see if I could buy low on Kyle Pitts right now. You're on mute, mute, mute. Sorry. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen already one year of Kyle Pitts under Arthur Smith and not be productive. You know, like he had like three fantasy relevant weeks of the entire season and he was like the primary guy, you know, I don't, like we saw Matt Ryan, we saw one week of what Michael Pittman can do with Matt Ryan, right? So why couldn't like why couldn't Kyle Pitts get anything done? Like I'm not denying Kyle Pitts' athletic ability or talent or prowess as a tight end, you know, slash wide receiver, but I don't I don't know, man. Like how much more can we go with how how much more longer can we go with this Kyle Pitts be patient thing? I mean, I think it's time to move on. Like you got to move on from your studs. I mean, you got to move on from your studs. You can, you just can't have them. You just can't allow them to tank your team. And the pattern weighs heavily in Kyle Pitts not being productive, right? So, I mean, it's just, it just shows after a while. Like you just, what I, I believe it'll happen, but is Marcus Mariota, Mariota going to unlock Kyle Pitts and Drake London at the same exact time while, you know, creating rushing yards for himself? I, I don't know, man. It's, it's really difficult. The quarterback has a lot to do with it. And I don't, I don't know how he's being schemed up. I guess he's playing more in line than he's playing outside. I haven't been paying close attention to it, but uh, you know, it just it just doesn't sit well with me anymore after a year and two weeks of it. No, I agree. I think he's had a couple tough matchups to start off with. New Orleans, you know, very good defense. Um, L.A., you know, pretty good scheming that. So I would like to see that. But, no, I totally agree. Um, it could be a, a thing where, you know, you just, you know, you're not going to get back what you put in, you know, because if you to get pitched, you probably had to draft him, you know, higher then obviously he's going to probably perform this year. So Nets, buy or sell Cortland Sutton. He has 18 targets through two games, 24% target share. Uh, first of all, I want to say this Broncos offense, they, you know, the first, the first week they got a lot of passing yards, not a lot of touchdowns, but I thought this offense would be a higher scoring. They uh, struggled for much of that game with the Texans. Um, so how do you feel about the Broncos and, and what do you think about Cortland Sutton? I like Corlin Sun, but I'm selling him because his Broncos offense is almost – it's, like, it's damn near unwatchable. Like, I, this, the Hackers were making the worst calls. And, you know, we, we we all assumed that this offense was going to be one of the higher scoring, you know, more just it, – it, it would be a better offense. But, like, the play calls are terrible. The game management, clock management is terrible. Like, just I don't really want to be part of the Denver Broncos right now. And I don't know, man. Like, Hackett's had this, he's got his install going. He had his offensive install going all off season. And it just doesn't seem like it complements the quarterback and the offensive pieces. I mean, they have like 18 tight ends on the field for every single play. Like I don't like, and he only had, it suddenly only got an inflated amount of targets because Jerry Judy left and he had an injured shoulder, you know, without Jerry leaving, without Judy leaving, he wouldn't have what he 11 targets or something like that. So, I mean, like, we can't count on that until this offense, you know, we can hope rational coaching, uh, you know, per, it comes through and overcomes the the ailments of this offense. But it's just I don't want to rely on that. I don't want to rely on rational coaching because the, it's just irrational to rely on rational coaching. That's what I think. Definitely. I remember there was one play. It was like third and one or two. And they did like a, a run with their tight end uh, back. And I was, I was like, what are they doing? I, I don't understand. I don't understand the rotation with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. It seems weird how they're, you know, kind of use them. And all those tight ends when and in Seattle, Russ never really threw to the tight ends that much. So it's, it's really confusing. So yes, I, I totally agree. I love Cortland Sutton as a player, but yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it, get as much as you can for him now because, 
And if you take a little bit of a loss, you do. But, you know, you have to make the best decisions at the time. And right now this offense looks like, you know, it, it might take quite, you know, maybe all season to get right. So Nets, buy or sell uh, Christian Kirk. So I was, um, you know, I know everyone went crazy when the Jads paid so much for him. Um, after the preseason, I thought he was going to get a ton of targets, and he has. He has 18 targets through two games, uh, 27% target share, had two touchdowns last game. Obviously, if you have Christian Kirk, I personally am going to keep him because I think he's going to continue to, to get um, at least six or seven targets a game. Um, and they seem to be scheming him up to get open in the middle of the field. And if you can, I might uh, try to uh, buy him if someone is not sold on the Jets offense or Christian Kirk. Yeah, and and again, we're in agreement here. I, I'm definitely buying on Christian Kirk. I, I, you know, I'm I'm so happy to see this for him. I wasn't a believer in Christian Kirk, but I'm ready to move off that stance and accept that, you know, he's a very viable wide receiver. I, th I don't know. I feel like he's playing a lot of the slot and Zay Jones and Marvin Jones are more outside wide receivers. That's just what I'm seeing. But I mean, he's thriving. He's a great, you know, he's always been a great deep threat and he still is a deep threat to this day. And he's very good, you know, middle of the field receiver for Trevor Lawrence. He's Trevor Lawrence's guy. And, uh, you know, again, another receiver we're going to touch on in a segment later on. And what I found on him is just very encouraging stuff. I found some really good numbers on him going into week two and, you know, it paid off again. And he went, he went nuts in week two. And this is only going to keep on going with him. It's going to be a, it, it, he was a steal. Like Amon Ross St. Brown was in the later parts of your draft, Christian Kirk as well. He's, he was one of the super late round wide receivers that, uh, you know, somebody got very lucky on. And lastly, Antonio Gibson. So I might have changed a little bit on Gibson because, you know, in the first two games, he had opportunities. He had 22 in the first uh, first game, so attempts and targets. And in the second game, he had 18 opportunities. I know in both they fell behind, but in the Jaguar game, it was only a possession. Um, so if he continues, if he can get at least 15 touches a game, um, you know, I might try to, you know, buy Antonio Gibson. But I guess in the same sense, it, when Brian Robinson comes back, if he, you know, it might be the time to sell before he comes back. Uh, you know, I know we've kind of gotten back and forth with the, you know, we both loved Antonio Gibson last year. So what's your thoughts on Gibson after two weeks? I feel like we're kind of seeing a, a rerun of what happened in the first couple of weeks of 2020 of 2021, because in week one, he was heavily, heavily utilized against the Chargers at a home game. And, uh, you know, he ran all those routes this year uh, against the Lions. Who are they play? Uh, they played the Jacksonville Jaguars. He ran like a bunch of routes and he caught a bunch of passes. And, you know, J.D. McKissick wasn't really involved. And we said, OK, I guess Antonio Gibson's really happening right now. And for the time being, before Brian Robinson gets back, you know, um, and uh, he was heavily involved in the passing game, which was which is very encouraging to see. And then uh, in week two, we saw more J.D. McKissick come in again. And this is exactly what happened in week two of last year, we saw more JD McKissick come in. So I don't know, man, it's Ron, you know, it's Ron Rivera. He's doing, he's, he's doing whatever he does. For some reason, he just completely pivots off of what he did in week one. And Antonio Gibson gave him no reason to Antonio Gibson is a fine talent, but I'm selling Antonio Gibson because, you know, once Brian Robinson comes back, he's going to be a factor and it's going to even limit Antonio Gibson's ceiling. Uh, furthermore, I think if you want to acquire Antonio Gibson, do it when Brian Robinson co comes back, when his cost is settled down to a uh, consistent price. But right now, if you buy Antonio Gibson, you're going to be paying uh, an inflated price for, you know, a player that's not going to appreciate value in about, you know, two to three weeks. But if you need the help, go ahead and buy Antonio Gibson right now. Yeah, I tend to agree. You know, it's it's a close line about buying or selling. So now let's just quickly talk about the Bears offense. I know both of us really liked Darnell Mooney before the season. I don't know how you feel about Cole Komet, but I thought he would be, a you know, a solid tight end. Um, Justin Fields, obviously, we we both really like like him. Um, both Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet, not done much. Um, Darnell Mooney only has five targets um, on 29 routes run in two games, but that's 100% route participation. Komet, only two targets in 23 routes run in two games, 82.1 route participation. Uh, they're just not throwing the ball very much, and they're not – being very creative. What they did in the preseason to kind of move fields around, I feel like they're not doing anymore. I know the first game with the weather, so you know, it's fine with that. So maybe 
But last week against the Packers, that offense looked just as bad as it did last year. So, um, and it came to a point when they were down pretty big, and then they just kept on running uh, David Montgomery because um, that was the only thing that was working. So, do you think that uh, the Bears are going to get you know anywhere near what we thought they might do with Darnell Mooney, or is it kind of we're just uh, we're going to take a loss for where we drafted Darnell Mooney this year? I ultimately think we're going to take a loss because it seems like the bears um, they're running the ball a lot to hide the inadequacies of their offensive line. Um, you know, we've we see what happens when, you know, when Justin Fields goes back in, in shotgun, you know, the defensive ends just pin their ears back and they come straight for him and that pocket collapses in a second and Justin Fields holds the ball too long. The coaches know all this. So the run game is there to hide all the inadequacies and they want to take the deep shot with Darnell Moody every once in a while. Darnell Mooney's like a Nelson Aguilar from like three years ago. He's just like this deep shot guy. They're not going to open up this offense. They're not going to spread the offense. Now we'll see what happens with the Houston Texans. We'll see how much they run. And this whole theory, this whole theory of mine holds up of them running the ball to hide the offensive line. Uh, because, you know, the Texans don't have a great pass rush. They don't really have a pass rush at all. So, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a low scoring game. They're not beating, there might not even be a reason for the bears to open up, you know, open up the passing game. But, um, yeah, it's not looking good for the offensive pieces. You know, I have Darnell Mooney in a couple spots. I'm not happy about it. Um, Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney are great talents, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen this year. I it's I don't know how an offensive line that's already bad gets better. I don't, I don't see it. Yeah, definitely. I had a little hope in the preseason because they seem to be, like, moving them around more and everything. This is what I worried about when they hired a defensive coach because I really wanted them to hire an offensive coach to maybe be a little more creative with Justin Fields and everything. And I, you know, maybe they go to what the Packers are doing with two running backs, you know, with Herbert and Montgomery. I want to say, you know, we kind of talked about Herbert, but Herbert really went down in touches in the week against the Packers. Montgomery got the uh, four red zone touches. Herbert didn't get any. So we'll see if it was just kind of, you know, that game or how it goes moving forward. If they're going to go forward with this running, you know, the ball quite a bit, I would think both are going to need to run, touch the ball a lot. Um, it's just disappointing because, you know, I think Fields is like 33rd in the NFL in like pass attempts so far. So that means, you know, the worst. <laughs> but uh, so we'll see, you know, if it gets any better. But definitely the Bears offense, you know, looks looks bad. And I guess what, you, what you're hoping for is just a long play, like in that first game with the bad weather where Fields kind of ran around and just found a couple guys and they were able to run it in. So now let's um, – Go into – I'll share the this uh, Excel uh, sheet um, that you did for weighted opportunity scores, and I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, so I've been using a new metric um, to determine the success and opportunity that receivers on football teams are receiving in regards to fantasy football, right? So weighted opportunity rating or um, – what's the acronym? WOP – uh, WOPR, right, is the acronym for it. So we're gonna, we'll just call it Whopper. So when we're talking about Whopper, we're using it as a descriptive stat and a predictive stat, and that basically means that a descriptive stat, a descriptive stat is telling us what happened, right? And it's we're gonna it, the predictive stat obviously is gonna tell us how to predict or project future success going forward uh, when we see significant data, you know, that you know heavily favors the player, right? So I've been using it these first two weeks of the year. You know, there's a bunch of fantasy. There's a bunch of stats you can use, A dot and route per run and targets per route. There's so many different stats, but this is the one I think is the best because what Whopper does is it combines target share and air yard share into one metric, right? And air yard share basically means that it measures the distance the ball travels once it passes the line of scrimmage to the point it goes over the receiver's head, whether it's an incompletion or not or it hits the receivers in the hand or touches the ground, right? So we, we measure it by those, three, by those three instances. So I looked at three teams in week two, and in I think two teams in week one, right? In week one, I saw Christian Kirk. He's not here right now. I'll, I'll bring him up, but Christian Kirk. So basically, if you see a score of 0. 0.70 for Whopper, that is elite. That is elite. Market, that is elite, an elite score. That means there's a significant correlation between the future uh the wide receivers current success and his future success right so if you look on the screen in front of us right now we see 
uh, the Pan- uh, the Falcons and Rams game from week two, right? And on top, you see the Falcons receivers and tight ends in red. And on the bottom, you see the uh, Rams wide receivers and tight ends in yellow, right? At the top, you see Drake London, right? And then we'll see the different categories. We see uh, the team he plays for, his position. And then we see air yards per pass attempt. So that's me actually visually charting each pass attempt and the air yards it traveled, right? And then we go over to total air yards, right? So that's his total, each player's total air yards, their air yards percentage, and over over the over the total air yards, their target share percentage, and then I finally calculate their Whopper score, right? So Drake London in week two had a 0.78 Whopper score, right? Weighted opportunity rating. That means he had it over 0. 0.70. And what did we say that 0. 0.70 is? That's the threshold for an elite wide receiver Whopper rating. That means he's, he's likely to have great success in the future as a fantasy and NFL, or basically a fantasy wide receiver, right? 0. 0.78 is very good. And then we, you know, obviously, look if we look into another guy like Cooper Cup, right at the bottom, he has a 0.86 score, you know. But that's Cooper Cup. But that just shows you, that just shows you the the magnitude and the weight that it gives to different players, you know. When, and when you're like talk, when you're talking about like how good, how good it, it gives you uh, perspective, basically, right? Then, but look, let's look at Allen Robinson on the bottom below Cooper Cup. If you look at his score from week one, it was way worse. Week two, it's not that great. 0.33. That is that is very that is not good. That is bad. That's what they call bad. So Allen Robinson, based off of what I've seen the first two weeks, I can confidently say that it's not going to be a good year for to have him in fantasy football. Right? Let's look at Tyler Higby, uh, second one down from um, uh, on the Rams side, a .55 weighted opportunity rating. That's pretty good for a tight end. Right now, Tyler Higby, he is the most targeted tight end in fantasy football in all of in in football basically. And he has a 0.55 score, right? I don't know what's happening, but in the first week of the season, he had 11 targets. And I think in this, yeah, I think in this year he had one, this week he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine targets, right? So, I mean, that's, that's, that's significant. Let's move do up you to think, do, huh? Real quick on, on Higby. Do you think yeah. when Van Jefferson comes back, that'll change? So, so since Van Jefferson's, Jefferson's been out, they're kind of using him as kind of like the the middle of the field guy more. Or do you think possibly, that's something yeah. that's it's something possible. that yeah? So it'll be interesting whenever Van Jefferson comes back. Um, you know if he continues this all year. But yeah, Higby has been very good at the beginning of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. And then like if we go to the top again and we look at Kyle Pitts, second one down on the Falcons. Let's look at his weighted. Let's look at his W O P R score. 0. 0.26. 0. 0.26 is. Terrible. It's it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible score, right? And what kind of when I we were talking about Kyle Pitts before, and you know, when I alluded it, like he had three targets this game, he had 26 total air yards, right? So, like it tells you that the ball just it's it's you know, it's not traveling, it's just not going to him. Like the the it just it shows that the quarterback has no intention of going towards him for you know for whatever reason. Now, well, let's see, let's see what happens when Drake London becomes a more, you know, when he establishes himself as a, as a legitimate threat. Let's see what happens to Kyle Pitts. Maybe this will be Kyle Pitts' saving grace. Maybe this will be what Kyle Pitts needed because we got to understand that Kyle Pitts, as talented of as a tight end as he is, he is still he still doesn't have the tools that a wide receiver does to get open. So let's see what let's see what happens with Kyle Pitts going forward. And you know, maybe this this helps us the buying opportunity that Brandon was talking about. Now, if we go to um, if we go to the New York Jets game, we'll take a look at Garrett Wilson, right? Now, Garrett Wilson has had a strong two weeks uh, to open the season. And in week two, he went off against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, in week two, Garrett Wilson had a 0.79 WOPR score, right? And what that's, I believe that's a higher score than Drake Lennon had in week two. Um, Garrett Wilson and Joe Flacco are just that type of duo that are just going to connect all the time. And look, Garrett Wilson is also a tremendous talent, right? He, he is a significant talent. I've seen people compare him to Justin Jefferson, like the, of his route running, the way he gets off the line. Um, so I think Garrett Wilson is set up for a very, very strong season. I actually actually picked up Garrett Wilson this, this morning and dropped Elijah Moore for Garrett Wilson. You know, And I think Elijah Moore is fine. I think he's a great wide receiver. But there's only so many wide receivers I can handle on my on my team right now. I don't have enough space for for two Jets wide receivers. Uh, that said, buy Elijah Moore. Stick him on your team. 
Uh, he's a great, you know, wide receiver three for the time being. Uh, and if we look below Garrett Wilson, we see Tyler Conklin. Tyler Conklin received one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight targets. Fourth highest targeted tight end in the league has a score of 0.37, which is fine for a tight end, right? We got we got to weight these things differently for tight ends and uh, wide receivers. So that's really good. So Tyler Conklin, if he's sitting there for yourself for your team, go pick him up if you need a tight end. And we see Elijah Moore a 0.30 WOPR score, not great. Or not that's uh that's Corey Davis. I'm sorry. <laughs> Elijah Moore has a 0.27 uh, WOPR score, you know, and I'm not really going to wait. I'm not going to really count that against him because I know Elijah Moore is a very talented wide receiver. So, you know, that said, I, I still think Elijah Moore is a, uh, is a strong fantasy buy. So that's basically how it works. And if you guys want to know the formula for it, I'll, I'll write it down right here. So it's, let's see if I can, I'll see if I can enlarge it here. Let's, I'll, I'll write it for you guys. Let's get this text. Let's get this font going a little bit bigger. Okay. So here's the formula. It's 1.5 or 1.5 times target share percentage plus 0.7 times, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, there's math involved, times air yard percentage, right? And that equals WOPR. That's the formula right there. If you want to do it for yourself. The trick is the thing is you gotta you gotta actually chart the air yards out for yourself or acquire them through a, a third party that you pay a subscription, possibly a subscription for. I think uh, FTN, the Fantasy uh, Network, FTN provides air yards and probably some other sites. But that's the formula if you want to know how to do it. So that's basically WOPR, and I'm, I'll start charting more and more and putting as many as I possibly can. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> no, that that was uh, very interesting and everything. Um, something I'll definitely have to check out more. And um, yeah, that is very interesting seeing that Drake London got up that high and yeah. Garrett Wilson was that high. And uh, that's disappointing that A-Rob is that low yeah. because I bought A-Rob at a lot of places before the season because I thought, yeah. you, you know, I thought. I'm hoping, I, have him, you know. I have him in a league we play with. And, and you can also see here the way that the formula works is that, you know, the 1.5. Uh, target share is more heavily weighted than air yards because it is multiplied by 1.5, giving it a higher, higher value or, you know, more weight and 0.7, not so much. But what I'm also going to do is I'm going to try to figure out how to weigh in, um, you know, uh, accuracy, accurate targets, catchable targets, because I think I heard, I heard an interesting term today called prayer yards, which is basically a lot of air yards that are thrown up to receivers, but they're not catchable yards and we're still counting them. So I want to see how, you know, catchable passes comes into play in the, in the entire scenario. So I'll be, I'll be trying to add that in hopefully if I have the time to the entire formula. Yeah. I think that's a really cool information and everything. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll obviously, we'll obviously come back to that um, in future weeks and kind of look to see how, it, how it was in predicting um, how receivers really go. So uh, this is what we've kind of started the past couple weeks, the thin slicing segment. So I'll let you go first. All right, so for my thin slicing, again, thin slicing comes down to, I'll remind you guys, it's basically a psychological or philosophical terms that rely that just discusses, you know, how you have you have these feelings about something happening in the future based off of very thin or very narrow uh, moments of exposure to uh, certain happenings and moments, right? So mine basically comes back down to Nelson Aguilar uh, on the Patriots offense, right? In the preseason, I watched him on 8-9-22. I saw him make one play for the Patriots. And I said, you know what? There could be something here. I said, I just made, I quote, I'm quoting myself. I said, I just knee-jerk picked up Nelson Aguilar in a 12-team team, a 12-team dynasty league. He breathed life into the Patriots offense tonight. He's most likely sitting on your waiver, waiver wire right now, right? And he's still sitting on the team that I picked him up for, right? So week one, he had 58% he had he played 58% of the snaps and caught two of five targets wasn't really like really wasn't really uh you know a factor week 2 against the Steelers 50% of the he, he only played 50% of the snaps caught six of six targets for 110 yards 18 yards per catch and one touchdown and one of his catches for that, that touchdown catch was what everybody was re referring to as him mossing the DB cuz he literally went over the DB's face caught the ball and took it in for a touchdown on a go route. 
So I think Nelson Aguilar basically deserves a bigger role in this offense. Uh, he was added last year. Uh, he was the first age. Uh, he was the first wide receiver added in free agency by the Patriots in 2021. Didn't really have a big role. It was more Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, but Nelson Aguilar, I think brings the element to that team that they wanted out of, um, I forgot his name, out of the Baylor wide receiver that we love so much that they drafted. What was his name? Oh, Tyquan Thornton. Tyquan Thornton, right? They wanted something out of Tyquan Thornton. Nelson Aguilar brings it. And Nelson Aguilar had a 100% catch rate on six targets with 18 yards per catch. That's pretty good. So that was my thin slicing moment that I had in the preseason, which kind of like, you know, it's coming to fruition now. So I don't, so one uh, for me, uh, I don't technically know if this thin slicing, but it's kind of going back on, I should have gone with my gut from the beginning um, and thinking that Donovan Peoples-Jones cannot be, uh, you know, counted on because I kind of went back and I was like, oh, he had this big game week one. Maybe I need to reevaluate and everything had, I believe one target this last game. Uh, you just can't be counted on. It's just, he's got great physical tools, talent, um, I know it's, you know, with Jacoby Brissett, but still, I mean, he should get more targets than one. And it's just up and down. You, consistency isn't there. Um, I, I lost the game because I played him. Mm-hmm. I lost by like four. And like any of my other receivers I put in would have won me the game. Uh, so, you know, he's going to have big weeks. He definitely is. Um, he's a big play type receiver that can do that. It's just – I, I'm not going. I'm not going to rely on him anymore unless, unless I absolutely have to. Um, so that's kind of kind of my moment that I should have uh, trusted my gut more and not uh, second guess myself. And, and that's and that's 100. That's a thin slice. That's a classic thin slicing moment because you know you said you should have gone with your gut. You know your quote unquote gut, and that's what it really. That's your intuition, right? And that's what it basically comes down to. It's like all the moments that we've lived as people. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. My battery's running low. Let me put that in real quick. All the, all the moments that we've lived as people, all those all the years that we've lived as people, we've subconsciously kind of like gathered all these mo- little bits of information and, and experience, and we kind of use them to our to our you know in the best way we can to survive in the world. And you know, with fantasy football, we've been playing it for so long that we've had so many instances of knowing when to see something is you know BS or is valid, right? And you know, Donovan Peoples Jones you know, struck a chord with that intuition you had about being, you know, you know, of of all those years of fantasy football, seeing all that BS, right. But we're still emotional animals and we still want, you know, we still, we still want, you know, that heavy target volume, those 11 targets that how do we say no to 11 targets? Right. But your intuition is like, don't do it. Right. It's kind of like a, it's like a field general on the battlefield, right. When he just knows there's something wrong, like the enemy's flanking, he just sees like, he's like, this is too easy. What is happening? Like, this shouldn't be the way it is. Like, what is happening in here? And like he just like he just knows that the enemy's coming up behind him on a cavalry or something like that. Like that's kind of that's just all that is. So 100 percent good thin slicing moment, Brandon. Yeah. And I I know this is kind of like a weird segment because, but like I like how this touches on the that intuitive side of a fantasy football analyst more than like, you know, it's 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 the opposite end of the spreadsheets that we were just looking at. It's just the other side of the of the spectrum. Yeah, I think totally because you know, kind of the same thing with the analytics crowd and the film crowd. You have to use both. You can't just rely on one. So I think you can rely on, you know, some analytics, some of the stats, some of the predictive scoring. But also, you know, it's a game where you got to go on your gut. Sometimes football doesn't make sense. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't make sense that someone goes off or, you know, everything like that. So um, so, so, de- so definitely on that. Uh, so, I said last week we're going to uh, talk about some uh, prospects. Um, I'm only I was going to do two, but because um, we went a little long on some of the other segments, I'll only do one. And he's a player that's kind of gaining uh, gaining steam, especially in the Debbie community. A lot of people like him. So let me pull this up. Yeah, so it is Chase Brown. He is the uh, running back for Illinois. You see his stats last year. He had a great year with a thousand yards. This year, he already has over 400 yards. Um, it's pretty much all of Illinois' offense. Their passing game is not very good. Uh, I like him. He has he shows uh, good power. He shows some good burst and speed. Um, he can catch the ball. I think he could be a guy that could move up into, um, you know, kind of the realm of where uh, Damian Pierce went last year. But he actually has the production in college. 
that Damian Pierce, we're just going off, you know, limited film and everything. And, uh, and Brown looks to have gotten stronger this year. I think he looks a little faster. Um, and actually I found, um, uh, little clip on Twitter that I want to just show real quick. So I'll remove this. Okay. This, this one you're going to see, um, see just, I'll start from the beginning. This is a, so you know, I know 205, right? Yeah. So I know, yeah. um, I know this is against Wyoming, but I just think this should, you know, shows, you know, wh- what he really yeah. does. So, uh, let I love me, this. yeah. So let's roll this. All right, so we got some split zone. Got some penetration. Very nice. Yeah, so he just cuts outside, you know. He runs through that tackler. He's able to avoid that one, you know. Is it is it is it slowing down right now because it's just it's just the way it is right now? Uh like I guess maybe because I'm streaming right now, but I Yeah, mean, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So at least you you see um a little bit of what he can do. He also in that game had a nice um, cuts, touchdown catch over the shoulder. Um, like I said, he's not going to be as high as some of these other top end running back prospects, but I think he's one that's going to definitely jump up boards and be more of a, you know, kind of, like I said, you know, possibly a Damian Pierce where people don't really know about him, but you know, if he gets drafted in like, you know, the fourth, fourth this round, then he could really, um, you know, uh, come onto the scene and, and on the NFL uh, level so he's someone that you definitely should kind of um, check out I'm not going to ask you to watch any Illinois games because uh, they're brutal you're watching right? them, apparently you're obviously watching them aren't you yeah I, I am um, but the oh, good part is they give Chase Brown the ball at least 20 times a game so you're getting most of him the the, the passing game game is not very good for Illinois they haven't had a good quarterback in I, saw, I don't know how long I, I saw he had 39 attempts against Indiana for like 199 yards or something like that 39 attempts yeah that's just shows that he can he can go with the ball yeah yeah they definitely can you know take take the load they did not um play him at all in um in the spring or fall camp because they said they knew they were going to give him the ball like a ton so they pretty much said we're not gonna make you run the ball at all in all season because we know we're going to give you a ton of carries um you know illinois middle of the road team in the big 10 but um, because of him, they, they're going to stay into some games. And, you know, he's an exciting player. He can break long runs. So uh, that's our Debbie segment for this week. Um, I'll try to have a better video next time. But, uh, you know. So uh, so we're going to close uh, this show with what we've been doing every week. Uh, two games we're excited to watch this week. I'll start with the first one. We uh, talked about it earlier, but the Buffalo-Miami game. See if Buffalo can continue. Um, Josh Allen just dominating on the field. Stephon Diggs dominating. Uh, see if they get Gabe Davis back. Um, and then mostly see if Miami can keep this up against a good Bills defense that shut down the Rams. Uh, I'm very interested in this divisional game, um, you know, how it kind of goes, if it's going to be a high-scoring affair or if both defenses can kind of figure out the, the talented offenses. Yeah, I think this is going to be the most anticipated game of the entire week. My uh, my first game is the Bengals and Jets, and we kind of just alluded to it before. Like we're, we've we talked about, you know, the, the we talked about you know the struggles of the Bengals. You know, they're gonna they lost to Mitchell Trubisky, they lost to Cooper Rush. Now, possibly they're gonna lose to Joe Flacco in their first three games. You know, can they overcome it? You know, if they cannot beat the Jets, who have one of the worst secondaries in the league, if they cannot do this, I don't care if it's on the road. We've got real problems. We've got problems in. People, it needs to be. It, it's it's not going to be good for the Bengals. So this is going to be like, uh, sadly, this is a test. You know, a Jets road game is a test for the Bengals, the, who just went to the Super Bowl and nearly won the Super Bowl. And then we got the Jets on the other side. We got Joe Flacco. You know, can he? You know, can he win? Can Garrett Wilson keep up his momentum? How does Elijah Moore develop? How does Brees Hall develop? I think Brees Hall is going to have a great week this week. I think Brees Hall is going to see some fantastic utilization. I am not – I'm trying to trade. I offered T. Higgins for Brees Hall today. I said, just take T. Higgins. I'm stacked at wide receiver. In redraft, in redraft. I, 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 I'm I stacked on this team with wide receiver. I said, I'm going to overpay for Brees Hall because I have so much faith in him. It, as the year progresses, I think he's going to be an amazing running back. I think right now if you can get Brees Hall, pay for him over slightly because I think he's going to work out. Uh, so, yeah, that's my first game. 
No, uh, that's a good take on, on Brees Hall because he only had like 27% snap share last week, uh, but he way outperformed Michael Carter. Michael Carter couldn't really get anything going. And Brees Hall, just an eye test. He's just more explosive. So um, I think they're going to start using him more. So um, that's very interesting. And with T. Higgins, one of the things that I always worry about with him, same as what Mike Williams, they always get hurt. I mean, they're great when they're on the field. But, you know, they always get hurt. And then they, um, you know, both of them have those other receivers. I know Keenan Allen's out. But anyway, my second game is Detroit-Minnesota. Is Minnesota going to bounce back? Is Detroit going to keep up this offense? I think this could be a pretty high-scoring game um, because, you know, unless uh, – because both have, uh, you know, good uh, receivers, um, good running game. So very uh, excited for that, for that game. A lot of fantasy players in there. So hopefully uh, it stays to a high-scoring game. But knowing how things usually go, it's probably going to be like 6-3 or something. But uh, I, ho- I hope it's a high-scoring affair. And my, my final game is going to be the Jags-Chargers. I want to see how Trevor, Trevor Lawrence does. On, I believe they're on the road in L.A. against the Chargers. Um, you know, Brandon, I think this is going to be a really good test for your team. Um, I, think the, I think the Jags should be favored right now to win the uh, uh, AFC South. I, I, I don't think there's really – any team that really stands out as much as the Jags do right now, their offensive, their offense looks much, much better under uh, Pe- Peterson. Um, I, wanna, I think Travis Etienne might get some more run this week, uh, given, you know, the assumed game script uh, and, you know, the way that the Chargers could run it up on the Charger, uh, on the, on the Jags. Um, and against, you know, the secondary with JC Jackson back there and, and uh, uh, Asante Samuel, is it Asante Samuel Jr.? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's back. He's back there now. And, you know, we'll see how Christian Kirk holds up. Let's just see how, you know, even if the Jags lose, let's see if they lose, you know, in good fashion or if they just get blown out. Like there's different ways of losing that, that you know, provide a narrative for the team. Let's just see what they do. Let's just see if they see a surprise. And on the Chargers side, you know, uh, let's see how Austin Eckler, how he gets more usage. But I, I primarily want to watch this game because of the Jags. I want to see how they, how they perform on the road. I'm interested. They have my attention. It's funny. I almost put this as my second game, but I don't want to be considered a homer for doing it. So I'm glad you did. I am actually very interested because I know, you know, it's different seasons and everything, but predominantly the last like 15 years, anytime the Jets have to go to the West coast, they get, they get like the the shit beat out of them. Um, I know when they've gone to the chargers, uh, Philip Rivers has torn them apart like almost every time. So that'll be very, very interesting. And yeah, for the offense, um, I think Etienne could be a big part. I think Evan Ingram, he um, in a waiver article I did this week, I said, you know, in deep leagues, Evan Ingram is good. He's getting about like five targets a game. They're not like deep targets, but, you know, um, they're, they're looking for him. He's actually catching the ball. So that's always good. Um, and if, you know, with those good corners, if they lock down, say, Marvin Jones and maybe Christian Kirk, then, you know, maybe the, the tight ends will be open. So that will be definitely interesting. And I got to imagine they're going to scale. They can't be running James Robinson 23 times a game. I mean, I know he's looked good, but I, I was, I've was i been surprised that Etienne truly has been kind of like a third down change of pace back rather where I thought it would be more of a 50-50 split. So maybe that changes um, because, you know, Etienne didn't have a great first game. I thought he looked better in the second game. But, yeah, that will be definitely interesting. And, man, how bad is the AFC South? that you said that the, the, the Chats could, you know, win the division when people were wondering, you know, if they're going to have the first pick again. Um, the Titans looked horrible. Um, I don't know what the Colts are doing. I mean, when Michael Pittman's not out there, they really don't have anyone to throw the ball to. And, you know, the Tetsons are kind of I, – I, I don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I was never a Davis Mills believer. I, saw, I just heard so much hype about Davis Mills in the offseason – and you just only know as to watch a couple of games to know that he wasn't really an adequate passer. You know, he's serviceable, but I just don't understand what all the hype is about. And going back to the Jags, uh, this is another thin slicing moment I had. I think they're kind of moving away from like Zay Jones a little bit. Uh, they're sticking with Christian Kirk, but I think, you know, they tried Zay Jones out in the first week and he had some red zone opportunities that were missed and some end zone opportunities. And Evan Ingram wasn't so much involved, but I think now they're starting to shift back to that classic Doug Peterson uh, tight end focus. Where Christian Kirk's going to still be great, but I think Evan Ingram's going to be more involved. I think they're starting to shift more towards Ingram as Ingram's, you know, starts to become more and more reliable. I think they're going to start shifting towards more, more towards Ingram. Yeah, I definitely agree because I thought Zay Jones would be way more involved just based on you know um, the little preseason work he had with Trevor. But uh, you know, I guess that you know Kirk said Kirk said in the you know in Jacksonville like uh, after preseason 
he said, you know, we haven't really shown anything. And I guess he's right because, you know, he's getting the ball way more. Zay is probably stuck to the, you know, maybe two or three targets a game. And he's going to have this one big game, you know, every now and then, but you're not going to really know kind of his career. Like when he was with yeah. the Raiders last year, he would have a big touchdown in the game, but you couldn't really consistently do that. And, you know, he's still third fiddle behind uh, Marvin Jones and Christian Kirk. So, uh, so definitely, you know, it, it just shows sometimes things that we think in preseason don't really come to fruition in the regular season. Absolutely. All right. So that's our show this week. So we will see you guys next week. Enjoy all the games. Later, guys.